The following is a sermon that was preached at Good News Lutheran Church in Mount Horeb, Wisconsin. It was preached on Sunday, May 28, 2023, on the basis of John 7, verses 37 through 39. For more information or to view our entire sermon library, visit goodnewslc.org. Thank you for listening. There are very few things in life that make us as human beings as vulnerable as thirst. Right alongside our need for air and our need for sleep, our need for water is right at the very top of the list of those things that are absolutely essential for our survival. And not only that, but thirst is one of those needs that we have that can really only be satisfied in just one way. Unlike hunger, for example, where anything from broccolis to brownies will do the trick, when it comes to our thirst, when we are thirsty, we need water, or at least something with water in it. And if nothing makes us as human beings as vulnerable as our thirst, then it is also true that just about nothing can be exploited and can be weaponized as easily against us as our thirst can be controlled, can be exploited, can be used against us to harm us. This is why, for example, out in the wild, a predator might actually hang out at a watering hole because it knows that eventually those animals that it would love to turn into a tasty snack need to show up. They can only hide for so long. This is also why in ancient times, if an army was attacking a city, one of the things it could do to render it powerless and defenseless would be to cut off or somehow contaminate its supply of water. Very few things in life can be weaponized against us as easily as our thirst. And if that is the case, then maybe it would seem as though Jesus is putting us in a bit of a dangerous position this morning. See, today we're starting this new worship series that is entitled Life Stream. And the big idea of this series is based on this idea that just as our bodies have thirst, so also our souls thirst. In our guilt, we thirst for peace. In our shame, we thirst for acceptance and unconditional love. In our grief, we thirst for comfort. In our sorrow, we thirst for joy. In our despair, we thirst for hope. And we might be tempted to think that when it comes to those spiritual thirsts, they ought to be satisfied sort of the way that our bodily thirsts are satisfied, especially here in our modern world. You know that when you are thirsty, there are any number of places that you could go. You could go to the kitchen sink. You could go to a drinking fountain. You could go to that little dispenser that's in the front of your refrigerator door. You could go to the garden hose if you really wanted to. You could go to a restaurant. You could go to a store. And maybe our thirst, our spiritual thirst, ought to be satisfied in just the same way, in as many different ways and in as many different places as possible. And yet as we hear the words of Jesus this morning, Jesus is going to tell us otherwise. Jesus is going to point us to just one source of living spiritual water that can satisfy all of those spiritual thirsts. And yet, far from putting us in some sort of spiritual danger, 
Jesus is actually doing just the opposite. You see, Jesus' words are about the day that we are celebrating today, this day that is known as Pentecost, this day that occurred 50 days after Jesus rose from the dead. And with this promise that Jesus makes about Pentecost, Jesus is ensuring that our spiritual thirsts will always be met. In fact, Jesus is protecting us from anyone being able to control or exploit or weaponize those spiritual thirsts against us. As we look at these verses from John chapter 7 this morning, we're going to see that the day of Pentecost de-weaponized our spiritual thirst. Jesus spoke these words to a group of people who was very familiar with the concept that thirst could be weaponized. In ancient times, the city of Jerusalem had just one source, one spring of water that provided people with all of the water that they needed. And because that spring was actually located outside of the city of walls, it needed, outside the city walls, it needed its own special protection. And so going all the way back to the time before the people of Israel inhabited Jerusalem, a special fortress had been built just to protect that spring of water. In fact, eventually the people of Israel realized that they could weaponize this source of water in just the opposite direction. When the nation of Assyria was threatening to lay siege to the city of Jerusalem, a king by, a, a king by the name of Hezekiah built a tunnel that redirected all of this water to a place inside the city walls where it was collected in a pool called Siloam. Well, Jesus was in this city called Jerusalem for a special festival, a festival that was to celebrate and give thanks for the harvest. They were giving thanks to God because once again, he had sent enough rain, he had provided them with enough water for all of their crops to grow. And part of what happened at this festival is that the priest would actually take a golden pitcher and he would go down to that pool called Siloam, the one that was filled up by the tunnel that Hezekiah had built. He would fill that pitcher up with water and he would sort of parade it all the way through the city streets up to the top of the Temple Mount and he would pour that water out on to the side of the altar. Well, it's at this feast. In fact, John tells us it's at the last and greatest day of the feast that right there at that temple, Jesus stands up and says in a loud voice, Come to me, all you who are thirsty. Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. You see, just as that city of Jerusalem had one spring, one source of water, Jesus was saying that when it comes to our spiritual thirsts, there is just one source that can satisfy them. That source is him. Again, maybe it would seem as though this puts us in a little bit of a dangerous spiritual position. I mean, wouldn't it be better if we could satisfy those spiritual thirsts in all kinds of different ways and in all kinds of different places? Here would actually be the problem with that. You see, anytime we look to anything to satisfy our spiritual thirsts, odds are we are putting someone else in control. It's almost as if there is someone else who is standing there at the tap that that water comes out from, and they are deciding whether to open or close it and how much water to let out. 
So for example, maybe when it comes to our guilt, we are looking for peace with all of our best and heroic efforts to make the world a better place or to make up for the wrong things that we've done. Maybe when it comes to our shame, we are looking for acceptance from our peers, an acceptance that is based on our performance, our accomplishments, our personality, our appearance. Maybe when it comes to our thirst for hope in times of despair, we go looking to things like science and medicine or politics and government. Maybe when we are looking for joy in life in the midst of our sadness, we look to the members of our family, we look to our possessions, we look to the experiences that we can create for ourselves. Well, in each and every one of those cases, when we look for something to satisfy that spiritual thirst, we are putting someone else in control. And the problem with that is that what determines whether that tap is opened or closed and how much water gets out, what determines that is based on whether we've done enough, whether we've worked hard enough, whether we've sacrificed enough, whether we've spent enough of our blood, sweat, and tears, whether we've paid enough or obeyed enough. Well, you might say, but if we look to Jesus to satisfy every spiritual thirst, aren't we putting him in control of the tap? Absolutely. But here's the difference. Jesus offers water to anyone who is thirsty. And in fact, Jesus says that everyone who believes in him will receive that water. In other words, Jesus doesn't say that if you want to get the water that comes from me, you need to do A and B and C. Instead, Jesus says, no, you simply need to trust that he has done everything from A to Z for our salvation. Jesus is the only one who can offer us that spiritual water free of cost because he paid the price by giving his own life for ours we can have peace and acceptance and joy and comfort and hope absolutely free of charge through Jesus the water that our souls need flows freely absolutely free of cost so I guess what that means is we need to take our empty spiritual water bottles and run to Jesus to have them filled up, right? Well, yes and no. You see, when Jesus spoke these words, he was not speaking about the present time, when people could actually go directly to him in the flesh to have their spiritual needs satisfied. Instead, he was talking about a future time, when that would no longer be the case, when he would no longer be among us in the flesh when that one and only source of our spiritual satisfaction would appear to be gone. And so it's no wonder that Jesus also wanted to remind the people that were listening to him that God was very good at making water appear in very unlikely places. In fact, that was kind of the other part of this special festival in Jerusalem that the people were celebrating. It was actually known as the Feast of Tabernacles. We might say the Feast of Tents. 
And so it reminded people of that time when they were traveling through a barren wilderness under the leadership of Moses on their way to the promised land, a time when they, when God's people, lived in tents. And part of what they wanted to remember about that time is how even in the midst of that barren wilderness, God had provided for all of their needs, including their need of water. In fact, Jesus had one, or God had once made water appear from a very unlikely place. He had caused water to come gushing forth from right in the midst of a rock. Well, Jesus wanted these people to know that just as God had done that then, so also when Jesus was gone, God would continue to make water, spiritual water, gush forth from a very unlikely place. Here's what Jesus said. He said, whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. So an endless stream of water to satisfy all of our spiritual thirsts would come bubbling up from within us, from deep down in our own bellies and stomachs. Do you realize how strange that sounds? That the place where a need is felt is actually the place where that need is also then satisfied? It'd sort of be like taking off the, the gas cap of the gas tank on your car, looking deep down inside of it and expecting it to just sort of refill itself. It'd sort of be like taking your phone after the batteries had all run out and it was completely dead and, and looking at it and just expecting it to sort of recharge itself. Making water come out of a rock almost seems like child's play compared to making water spring up from the depths of thirsty souls. And so it's no wonder that John, as he recounts this incident, wants to, to offer a bit of an explanation. John says, By this Jesus meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. So this endless spring, this rushing river of water, was not just something that we would sort of internally produce for ourselves. No, instead, Jesus was promising that after he was glorified, after he had risen from the dead and ascended into heaven, yes, he would remain the one and only source for our spiritual thirst to be satisfied. And yet the way that he would satisfy that thirst would not be in the flesh. Instead, he would pour out his Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit would make his dwelling in the heart of each and every believer, and that spirit would be that endless stream providing the water that our souls need. So yes, through Jesus, the water that we need flows freely, that is, free of charge, but through the spirit, that water flows freely as in completely without limit. So I guess what we need to do is take our empty spiritual water bottles and go running to the Holy Spirit to have them filled up. So where is he? How do we do that? We just go outside, look up into the sky and sort of wait for him to come down? Do we look real hard across the room to see if little tongues of fire appear on our heads the way that they did for the disciples on Pentecost? Do we wait for some sort of feeling or experience deep down in our hearts? Is it sort of like God is going to zap us with a lightning bolt, leave a, a scar on our forehead, Harry Potter style? 
No, if this is how our thirst is satisfied, through the pouring out of the Holy Spirit, well then, how do we get ourselves some Holy Spirit? I'm actually not going to answer that question this morning, in part because Jesus' words don't really spell out the answer to that question, and also because, in part, that's what the rest of our worship series is going to be about. In the coming weeks, we are going to hear Jesus explain how he established these channels for the time when he would be gone, these channels through which he would continue to pour out his Holy Spirit into the world. And yet already now we have this blessing that whatever system, whatever setup, whatever proposal someone might offer for the Holy Spirit to be delivered to us and all of the blessings that he brings with them, we would be able to test it according to Jesus' words. Because very few things can be weaponized against us as easily as our thirst. In fact, it wasn't just true that back in ancient times the city of Jerusalem had just one source, one spring of water that delivered the water that the people needed. It's still a very important spring to this day. Which is why as recently as 1948, that spring, that source of water, was weaponized in the Israeli-Arab War. People took poisonous bacteria and they actually put it in that spring and in that pool that was fed by the spring as a form of biological warfare. It is and will always remain the case that very few things can be weaponized against us as easily as our thirst. And so thankfully, whatever source of spiritual water we might be looking toward, whatever tap we might be going to to get and to satisfy that spiritual thirst, we can apply the test of Jesus' words. That whatever source it might be, those blessings had better be flowing to us freely and freely, without charge because of Jesus, and without limit because of his Holy Spirit. That's the promise that Jesus made in these words. That's the promise that Jesus kept on the day of Pentecost, and that's the promise that he continues to keep here and now and among us. And in so doing, Jesus has forever de-weaponized our spiritual thirst. Amen. Amen.